Please pray with me. Father, open our hearts and minds to see Jesus' amazing loving kindness towards us and help us to be grateful. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount, where God's absolute ideals meet his absolute grace. In the first six verses of our gospel lesson, Jesus tells you three things. First, how you should live. Second, you will never do it. Third, he says, but in and through me, you can. Let's work through these six verses backwards, focusing on Jesus' deepening the commandment not to murder, showing us that even anger makes us liable to judgment. Jesus does the same type of deepening with the commandments on adultery and false witness. But for the sake of time this morning, we will focus on anger and murder. Everybody excited? (laughs) I mean, I know that's just what you were hoping for this snowy Sunday morning. But don't worry, ultimately there is good news here. Right off the bat, Jesus says, You have heard it said, you shall not murder. And if you do, you shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you, if you are angry, or if you insult a brother or sister, or if you say, you fool, you are also in violation of this commandment. He's saying it is not enough to just refrain from harming or murdering somebody. Anger and insults also violate the commandment. Right away, you might be thinking, hold it. Didn't God get angry? Didn't Jesus get angry with the money changers in the temple? Doesn't Jesus call the Pharisees fools? Yes, in Matthew 23. Don't we have prophets in the Bible calling people fools? So... What's going on here? Jesus is not forbidding one to get angry. Indeed, Jesus gives us in Matthew 18.15 the confrontation command on how to confront a Christian brother or sister who sins. Rather, Jesus is talking about three forms of anger which violate the commandment that tells us not to murder. Righteous anger exists, and we see it demonstrated by both father and son. Unrighteous anger also exists. In this passage, Jesus is speaking of unrighteous anger in three forms. If you are angry, if you insult, if you call someone a fool. The first, if you are angry, is from the root of our English word orgy. Anger is a bit of madness, out of control. It means carrying anger, remaining angry, or is nursing a grudge. This does not point to a single moment of anger. The best translation of this word might be resenting. Jesus is forbidding that everyday anger that we carry about with us, that we feed, that we nurse and help it grow, and by which we hurt so many. Jesus is saying, yes, anger happens. 
but what will you do with it? Prolong it or master it? The second form of anger, if you insult in our text, is from the aromatic word raka. Raka is a very hard word to translate, and that's why in some versions of the Bible you will see it left in the Aramaic. Here's why. It literally means nothing or empty. It's like saying to someone, you non-entity. More than a single insult, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of being dismissive. Contempt, condescension, belittling. The third form of anger, called calling someone a fool, is to question their moral competence, where raka is a term of dismissal of a person to be, to deny their right to exist. Calling someone a fool is a term of dismissal of a person as someone unworthy of love. Jesus did get angry, sure he did, but his was a righteous anger and it was rooted in love. His anger arose out of love for the truth, love for people, and even love for the perpetrator. There was no raka in his anger. He never belittled people. You never see Jesus sneering. You never see him being contemptuous. He is taking the person with whom he is angry very seriously. But here's the point. Our anger is rarely like that. Our anger is usually filled with raka because it's based on pride, ego, and personal offense. Here's how you can test the nature of your own anger. If you think of somebody and enjoy thoughts of their diminishment, thoughts of their humiliation, thoughts of their being brought down, thoughts of their suffering, you have the anger, Jesus says, we must stop doing. If you can think of anybody and enjoy a scenario in your mind of that person being distressed, you have a grudge. The sign of this in your behavior is the sneer, the looking down or the shrugging off or even moving away from a person. If you imagine yourself in a contemptuous, I told you so <laughs> scenario, you are engaging in raka. This kind of anger, Jesus would say, is a seedbed for murder and harm. This type of anger is evident in the recent shooting in Tampa, Florida, where a retired policeman, Curtis Reeves, murdered a man for texting on his cell phone in a movie theater. When Reeves corrected the man about texting, the victim threw popcorn in his face. How did this happen? Why would a retired police officer have a gun in his pocket in a movie theater? And why couldn't one of these men back off and change seats or have confronted the other in a more gracious manner? It's so critical for us to deal with our anger. I like the way Dr. Timothy Keller in his sermon, Law and Love, explains this. There's two acorns. Both could grow an entire oak tree. The whole is in there in miniature. They are equally potent. They are equally acorns. 
but one acorn falls into fertile ground as water, and up comes a tree. And the other falls on concrete and eventually just rots. Would you say that the one that produced the tree is a better acorn? No, it just had better conditions. Jesus is saying, don't have the right to be outraged at Curtis Reeves and say, oh, how could anyone do that? You didn't have their life, did you? You can't know their circumstances, what happened before they went to the movie theater. The murder he committed was outrageous, but you have the same seeds in you. We all do. If we get enraged at drivers who cut us off the road, we're no better than Curtis Reeves at the root. So Jesus is saying, you create the conditions for your life. Your internal life has consequences. Here is a command for my followers. You may never hold a grudge because it is a seedbed for murder. On top of that, whenever you meet someone, you must treat every person in every encounter as just what they are, an infinitely precious being in the image of God. You have no right to treat any person lightly, dismissively, or cruelly. You may not insult or call someone a fool. Jesus' love, his kindness, his gentleness, and his patience is the model we want to follow. Every person a precious child of God. George Whitfield, the 18th century Anglican preacher, had a little set of self-evaluation questions that he asked himself every day. One of them on the list was, Have I thought or spoken or acted unkindly, unsympathetically, or uncharitably to anyone? I'll repeat that. Have I thought or spoken or acted unkindly, unsympathetically, or uncharitably to anyone? Try that out at the end of each day. Try that question out so far today. Does your answer give you any reason for self-righteousness or looking down on others? Mine doesn't. Jesus says such behavior is not just discourteous. It's hellish. Now, Jesus says what you are probably already feeling. Nobody can live like that. You can't, you can't live with utter courtesy and respect all the time, as hard as you try. Now Jesus drives that home in verses 18 to 20. Notice in verse 18 and 19, he says, and I'm paraphrasing now, I don't want you to think that when I show up talking about grace and forgiveness, that means I am here to say, oh, it doesn't really matter how you live as long as you have a nice relationship with me. The law of God is more than a set of guidelines, more than a list of good ideas and general principles that we try to live out. It's the law of the creator of the universe of all that is or ever has been. To reject his commands is to reject 
who he is. Jesus says, listen, I tell you, when it comes to the law and the prophets, meaning the Bible and God's will, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is laying it on thick. And then he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, ouch! Jesus' listeners would have been shocked and dismayed, just as we are shocked and dismayed at these words. The Pharisees were like the monks or the Amish of the day. They lived in tightly ordered lives, in tightly ordered communities. Everything they said, everything they wore, everything they ate, everything they did was rigidly compliant. The whole set of hundreds of rules. Everyone listening would have said, how in the world do you expect us to be righteous like them? Yet Jesus goes right on in verses 21 and 22. He says, let me show you, paraphrasing again, there is no Pharisee, indeed there is no one in the world who can have the kind of inner life that the law demands. The law doesn't just say it is wrong for you to, be- to behave in certain ways. It also demands the inner motives to be right. In other words, the law doesn't just say it is wrong for you to behave in certain ways. You must also have the attitudes and motives of the heart that lead to behaving rightly and justly. Chances are that you, like the original listeners, are thinking, I might be able to control my behavior, but to also control my motives and my attitudes? Wowzers, I don't think so. And once you see you can't keep the law, at least not in your heart, it pushes you to point three. Fortunately, despair leads to hope. And point three is but in and through Jesus Christ, you can keep the law. Jesus tells us, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus wants us to obey the law because our obedience is how we show our Father how much we return his love for us. The law, the Ten Commandments, in their deepest interpretation, reveals the character of God. Our obedience is the sincerest form of gratitude we can show him. And therefore, Jesus loves you too much to say, forget about the law. He wants you to love his Father. He also wants you to become more and more like the Father. When we return our Father's love by obeying, our relationship grows and we become more like him. It's not just busy work. It's not just a set of stuffy religious rules. You were made to image God. You were made to reflect God as his son and daughter. So if the Bible says God forgives and you don't forgive, what are you doing? You are violating 
your very design, and there will be a breakdown. Just like if you don't change the oil in your car, there will be a breakdown because you are violating its design. If you eat enough fatty foods, you will have a heart attack. Why? Because you are violating your design. And if the mechanic or the doctor tells you to do this or that, it is not busy work. They are saying, if you don't honor your design, there will be a breakdown. When you are failing to fulfill God's very design for you, there will be a breakdown in your body, mind, or spirit. There will be breakdowns in your family and community. If, as a church, we don't live as God designed us, there will be a breakdown in our church community. Resentment, dismissal of others, and judging others to be unworthy of love will lead to nasty consequences internally and externally. Jesus loves us all too much to abolish the law. But wait, Jesus says, he came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. This is one of the most important statements in the Bible. How do you fulfill a law? There are two ways. You can either keep the law, or you must pay the penalty for breaking the law. Think about the law to come to a full stop in the city of Pittsburgh. One way to fulfill the law is to stop. The other is to pay the fine for ignoring the law. Either way, you have fulfilled the law. So what does Jesus do? If we make an analogy with the stop sign, Jesus both stops and pays the fine. Jesus comes and fulfills the law of God twice. How? First, Jesus lived the law by obeying it in complete love, complete peace, and with complete integrity. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus fulfills the law not just by obeying it, He then fulfills the law by paying the penalty for ours, yours and my, disobedience on the cross. If he had only paid the penalty, it would only mean your past is atoned or paid for. But Jesus fulfills the law twice. He has earned the blessings of salvation. When you believe in Jesus... You receive the reward of God due to a perfectly obedient person. A relationship with Jesus changes everything. Before you believed in Christ, the law served to help you see your need of a Savior. After believing in Christ, the law becomes our guide on how to become like him. So, can you see how once you believe in Christ, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees? Grace creates a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. Grace trumps legalism. Grace changes our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. 
Grace changes our inner attitudes and motives. Grace fills our hearts with unconditional love that says no matter what the circumstances look like, I remain convinced of your love for me, Lord. Only grace gives us the power for long-term obedience. How can a person like me, who lives in sheer grace, not want to obey the law of the king? Philip Yancey, in The Jesus I Never Knew, explains how he had once brooded over the uncompromising ideals of the Sermon on the Mount. He writes, How could I have missed it? Jesus did not proclaim the sermon so that we would furrow our brows in despair over our failure to achieve perfection. He gave it to impart to us God's ideal towards which we should never stop striving, but also to show that none of us will ever reach that ideal. The Sermon on the Mount forces us to recognize the great distance between God and us, and any attempt to reduce that distance by somehow moderating its demands misses the point altogether. Let's never treat anyone lightly. Make everyone feel cherished and honored. Let the knowledge of our Lord's costly love melt you into a person who lives right. Hold fast to him and persevere in living up to his ideals. Amen.